truly an honor to uh, share God's word uh, this morning, and uh, thank you to Pastor Rogers and the board for this opportunity. It is said that uh, as an inventor, uh, Thomas Edison made close to 1,000 unsuccessful attempts while he was inventing the light bulb. And uh, when a reporter asked him, uh, how did it feel to fail a thousand times you know, during this process? Edison's answer was, uh, I didn't fail a thousand times. The light bulb was an invention with 1,000 steps. <laughs> how many of us have ever felt like giving up? You know, perhaps in some area of our life, it was just too much to handle. School, work, family, relationships, maybe even church. And it doesn't help that we uh, live in a society that seems to often encourage this attitude of quitting or giving up as well. But when we look into the Word of God, we find that uh, perseverance, remaining faithful in the midst of trials and difficulties, is one of the most important things that God expects of us as we live our Christian journey in this world. So it's not something that we can just ignore or treat casually. Now, I was thinking about some of the things that the world uh, tries to tell us, um, sometimes even within popular Christianity, as far as uh, how to persevere or how not to uh, give up. Think positive. Believe in yourself. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. And as one of my professors used to say, and it's not a train. Some years ago, a uh, popular pastor uh, released a book called Every Day of Friday. And in it, he gives us some steps we can follow so that every day of our life, we can feel the way we do at 5 p.m. on Friday. Joy and anticipation that the weekend is coming. Now, I'm not saying that there's no truth in any of those phrases or perhaps even in that book. But the fact of the matter is, it's not reality for most people. Thinking positive and hoping every day feels like a Friday will only get you so far. Now, if there was anyone who had every right to give up or throw in the towel as far as his Christian life, it was none other than the Apostle Paul. And although the New Testament reveals much about his accomplishments in regard to preaching the gospel and establishing churches and uh, leading you know, many to faith, it also has much to say about his suffering and his trials. But the amazing thing is, despite all of those hardships, Paul persevered until the end. Now, how did he do that? Uh, was he given some special gift or ability because he was an apostle? Did he have some magical formula or you know, know some secret that was maybe hidden from everyone else? Well, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul gives us the answer to how we can persevere in our Christian life. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now, this is the last chapter of the last epistle that uh, Paul wrote. And as he is writing this epistle, he is in a cold, dark uh, Roman prison waiting for his imminent beheading. Uh, he has just weeks or maybe even days left on this earth. And he's not in prison because he committed crime or you know, he was a criminal, but he was in prison because of his own words as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. The majority of his life had been about preaching the gospel. And as he is getting ready to leave this world, he is reminding his spiritual son Timothy of some of the things that Timothy should pay attention to 
because he knows that Timothy also is going to face difficulties in his own life and ministry. Uh, look for a moment at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 8. Paul tells Timothy, do not be ashamed. Chapter 1 verse 13. You need to hold fast to the, to the pattern of teaching which you have heard. Chapter 2 verse 1. You need to be strong. Chapter 2, verse 3, you have to endure hardship. Chapter 2, verse 15, you need to be diligent. In chapter 3, verse 14, you need to steadfastly continue or persevere in the things you have learned. So it's quite clear that uh, as Paul is getting ready to uh, leave this world, in these last words to his spiritual son Timothy, he knows that Timothy is not going to have an easy life. It's not going to be a bed of roses. And hence that strong language that he uses. Now when we come to chapter 4, as Paul is wrapping up this final letter, he tells us specifically in the first eight verses what was the secret, as it were, of his perseverance or how he could remain faithful in such a difficult and hostile world. But before that, I want to uh, look at the second half of the chapter to sort of uh, set up what we'll be seeing in the first part. There are four specific things that Paul was facing in the final days of his life that are very often the reason that many of us want to give up. In other words, things that keep us from persevering. Firstly, Paul was experiencing loneliness. Look at verses 9 through 11, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul tells Timothy, verse 9, Be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful for ministry. Now imagine you had spent your whole life laboring and sacrificing for other people. But now when you need them the most, there is hardly anyone with you. And even worse, those who were once your fellow laborers like Demas, they have deserted you, having gone after things of the world. So Paul was experiencing a measure of loneliness. But not only loneliness, look at verse 13. Paul was also in a situation of discomfort. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Now the books could be the Old Testament scrolls, and the parchments could be blank sheets for writing. We're not really sure. But what I want to focus on is the first thing he asked for. Bring me a cloak. And that refers to an, an outer garment or a covering, what we might think of today as a shawl or a jacket. And the reason he wants that is uh, in verse 21, he says that winter is coming soon. So he wants something to keep himself warm in this prison cell. So again, think about this. A faithful preacher of the gospel did not even have a coat or a shawl to keep himself warm. In other words, Paul did not even have the basic necessities of his life at that point. So he is experiencing loneliness, he is experiencing discomfort. But look at verse 14, verses 14 and 15. He's also experienced opposition. Verse 14, 
Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. Now, I wish he didn't have my namesake, but according to that verse, we don't know what exactly Alexander did, but based on what Paul says in verse 15, it looks like Alexander was someone who had opposed Paul's teaching. Now, we know that although Paul was an apostle commissioned by the Lord himself, had seen the Lord Jesus Christ with his very eyes, all his life there were people questioning his teaching and and questioning his authority and the truthfulness of what he proclaimed. And even in these last days of his life, Paul is still reminded of that. So we see Paul, he's experiencing loneliness, he's experiencing discomfort, he's experiencing opposition. But also look at verse 16, rejection. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. All forsook me. May it not be charged against them. You know, in those days uh, before a trial, there was a preliminary hearing where anyone who wanted to speak on behalf of the accused could present their case. But when Paul had been on trial, he says, there was no one who was willing to testify on his behalf. There was no one who was willing to vouch for his innocence. He says in verse 16, all forsook me. So here you have the great Apostle Paul experiencing loneliness, discomfort, opposition, and rejection. And if you look at it from a human perspective, we might be thinking, Paul, you gave most of your life to serve Christ and His church. You've made so many sacrifices. You've put your life in danger so many times. And this is where it has left you? Lonely, uncomfortable, opposed, and rejected? It doesn't sound like a very good deal. It certainly doesn't sound like every day was a Friday for him. Now, have you experienced the things that Paul went through? You know, although our circumstances, of course, are vastly different from Paul's, I'm sure that at some point in our life uh, this morning, whether you're a Christian or not, all of us, we've been lonely, we've been uncomfortable, we've been opposed, and we felt rejected. And some of us may be going through those things this very moment. And during those times when we're experiencing those things, the temptation to give up is the greatest. But what was the secret of Paul's perseverance? How can we persevere in the midst of trials? How was Paul able to remain faithful until the end, even though his life was filled with loneliness, opposition, rejection, and discomfort? Well, thankfully, he gives us the answer in the first part of the chapter, the first eight verses that were read to us. And there are five truths that he reminds Timothy in these verses that I would like to bring to your attention this morning, because I think that these five truths are applicable to us as well. Now, each of these five could be a message in and of itself, so we're not going into every detail regarding all of these five things, but at least to get the big picture in terms of how to persevere in our life. Let's begin by again reading chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers." 
and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, Timothy, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And I believe that last phrase in verse 5 really sums up what Paul is saying in those first five verses. And this would be the first key or secret or whatever you want to call it. It's not really a secret. But the first key to perseverance. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. Now, a lot of times when we think of the word ministry, we might think of something formal. We might think of an organization, something that has a name or something that has a board or something that that is registered. And of course, a ministry can be that. But really, the word ministry just means service. It's from where we get the word servant or deacon. So what Paul is telling Timothy is, you need to do the service, the ministry that God has called you to. Now, we know from these verses that Timothy's primary ministry, verse 2, was to preach the word and to be a leader of God's people. But look at how seriously Paul views this ministry of Timothy's. He says in verse 1, I charge you. That really means I command you. This is not an option. And on what basis is Paul giving this command? Verse 1, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead. The basis or reason for this command is God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the judge of all men, who will one day return to set up his kingdom. In other words, what Paul is telling Timothy is, Timothy, you need to fulfill your ministry of preaching the word because you are under the watchful eye, not of me, not of any organization, not of any church, but of God and Christ. And this Christ is one day going to come back and he is going to judge all men when he sets up his kingdom. In other words, Timothy, you live and work in light of impending judgment. You live and work as one who is visible to God. I am charging you knowing that God and Christ are present, hearing this charge, and holding you accountable. Really, it's like Paul is saying, I can't be any more serious about this. If you fail to fulfill your ministry, you're not disappointing me, Paul. You're not disappointing the members of the churches that you may have helped to establish or preach at. You are disappointing. You are accountable to God. You are accountable to the only judge and king, Jesus Christ. Timothy, you need to focus on your ministry because it has eternal ramifications. You need to focus on your ministry because of who it is that gave that ministry to you. Not Paul, but verse 1 says, God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul could say this because it was his own experience, wasn't it? You know, how and why did Paul, or how did Paul view his own ministry? You know, despite misunderstandings and persecutions and stonings and famine and, you know, false betrayal and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, you name it, Paul had experienced it. But in the midst of that, Paul remained faithful. I don't know about you, but, you know, very often if I, you know, do something for someone, whether it be in the church or, you know, even otherwise, and the person complains about it or the person doesn't recognize or appreciate it the way that I was expecting, then... It's enough for me to say that's the last time I ever do anything for them or for that person. But Paul knew the only way to persevere 
was to recognize the solemnity and the awesomeness of the responsibility he had been given. He carried on with his ministry, not because he knew people would be nice to him or because circumstances would be favorable. In fact, quite the opposite. But he carried on with his ministry because he knew one day he would have to give an account to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When was Timothy to fulfill his ministry? Well, verse 2 tells us always, in season and out of season. When it was convenient, when it was inconvenient. When it was popular, when it was unpopular. When people liked to listen, when people didn't like to listen. It's not that as the times changed, that Timothy could change his message to make people hear him. No. The message remained constant despite the reaction of the people. And the last part of verse 2 tells us with what kind of an attitude Timothy was to fulfill his ministry. Not an attitude of pride or, or arrogance or condemnation, but an attitude of all long-suffering. It really means patience. In other words, Timothy, fulfill your ministry, and even when you have to rebuke or correct what people are doing, make sure you do it with an attitude of patience and love and long-suffering. Timothy's ministry was to preach the word and to establish churches. But for most of us in this room, that's not our ministry. But the Lord has still given us a ministry. Because as I said, the word ministry just means any service or work that we do for God in his kingdom. It could be something official. It could be something unofficial. In Ephesians 4, we are reminded that the work of ministry is not to be done primarily by pastors or teachers or evangelists, but it's to be done by the saints. The pastors, teachers, and evangelists are there to prepare the saints, the believers, like us, for the work of ministry. So perhaps our calling is not to lead a church or to preach the word or something official like that. But as Peter reminded his readers in 1 Peter 4.10, if you are a child of God, you have a spiritual gift, you have a role, you have a responsibility in God's kingdom. So the question is, do we know the service that God has for us? You know, in our eyes, it might be something big, it might be something small, it might be something official, it might be something unofficial. But in God's eyes, if He has given it to us, that is the service that He expects us to do. And even though, again, that our ministry is very different from Timothy's, I believe that these same principles that Timothy had to do, had to follow while fulfilling his ministry, are applicable to us as well. Do we perform our service, whatever it may be, knowing that we are ultimately serving God and Christ, knowing that He is the one that we are accountable to? Are we willing to serve at all times, not just when it's favorable or comfortable for us? And as we serve people, are we doing it with an attitude of long-suffering and patience, knowing that we want to see them built up and be more like Christ? So that's the first way that Paul could persevere in his Christian life, despite all of the hardships, because he was committed to fulfilling his ministry. What's the second way he was able to persevere? Verse 7. I have fought the good fight. In other words, Timothy, not only do you need to fulfill your ministry, but you need to fight the good fight. Now why does Paul use the word fight? And it's that word fight from where we get the English word uh, agonize, agony. And it was used in its original context uh, both for 
military people as well as athletes, those who had to devote intense concentration and effort in order to fulfill their task in order to win. So Paul is reminding Timothy, the Christian life is not easy. Every day is not going to feel like a Friday. It's going to involve a lot of struggle, a lot of tension. There's no quick fixes. There's no magic formula. There's no one conference you can go to or one church service you can attend or one message you can hear that's going to solve everything or make everything right. Just like athletes, just like soldiers had to train for months and even years to become proficient in what they did, so also Christians needed much patience and dedication. This is a lifelong commitment. You know, sometimes we might wish the moment we were saved, the Lord should have just taken us to heaven. But that's not the way it works. He has left us in this world for a time. And as we battle various forces, both from within as well as from without, we need to know how to overcome. We need to know how to win. You know, Peter tells his readers in 1 Peter 5, 8, that the devil, Satan, is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he was writing that to believers. And it doesn't mean that their salvation would be lost, but what it meant was they could experience defeat as they were living their Christian journey. They could become totally useless to God and to his service. So Paul is reminding Timothy, I don't want you to go through that kind of an experience. Timothy, if you want to come to the end of your life victoriously, it's going to take a maximum effort. It cannot be a part-time Christianity or a half-hearted type of commitment. In Colossians 1.29, you don't have to turn, but Paul says, to this end, I also labor, I strive. You know, Paul talked about his ministry as labor, as striving. A couple weeks ago, we were looking at Philippians 1, and in the end of verse 27, he says, we have to strive together for the faith of the gospel. So it's not easy. But in the midst of this striving, Paul doesn't say it's a fight. He says it's a good fight. It's a good fight. And why is it a good fight? Because victory has already been secured for us through what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. So this fight is not something that is a waste of time or something that Paul regretted doing. As is often said, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory or on the basis of victory. And although it took so much of time and energy and dedication and put him in such difficult circumstances, he knew that this fight was for the sake of Christ and his kingdom, not some trivial earthly pursuit. So Paul is saying, if there is anything in this world worth fighting for, it's Christ and his gospel. So the question to us this morning is, are we fighting the good fight? Are we willing to struggle and take effort to live for Christ. You know, many times it is easier to fight for worldly or material things, but be lazy when it comes to, or apathetic when it comes to spiritual things. But Paul says if we want to persevere, we have to be committed to fighting the good fight. So Timothy, in order to persevere, you need to firstly fulfill your ministry. Secondly, you need to fight the good fight. Third, very same verse, verse 7, you need to finish the race. Paul says, I have finished the race. 
Now, comparing the Christian life to a race and a Christian to an athlete was uh, one of Paul's favorite uh, analogies. And uh, we see that more in detail in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, is Paul saying here that uh, he finished simply because he was going to die? Well, I know I'm about to die, so I guess I'm done. No. I believe what he is saying is, I am ready to die because I have accomplished everything that God has asked me to do. It's not just, okay, I'm going to die. I guess this is it. I did what I could. No. I know that I have faithfully fulfilled the purpose for which God saved me and kept me on this earth. So now I am ready to die. I don't think, you know, being beheaded in a Roman prison was the method that Paul would have chosen if he had a choice. But I believe what he's saying here is, despite the circumstances, I'm ready to go. I haven't left anything undone. He knew what God's will was for him, and he was committed to doing that. He wasn't simply living his life wondering or confused what he should be doing. So the question for us is, uh, do we know the course, the race that God has laid out for us? You know, in some ways our races are very similar, but in other ways they are different. And Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2 remind us that as we are running this race, we need to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. So God has marked out a race for each one of us. The race he's marked out for you, me is not exactly the same he's marked out for you. Because our situations, the things that he has asked us to do are different. So do we know the race that God has marked for each one of us? Do we know the finish line? One author has put it this way, What will you reach first? The day of your death or the finish line of your race? In other words, the finish line of your Christian race may not necessarily be the time of your death. And Paul is saying here, I have finished the race not just because I'm going to die in a few days, but because I know, despite all my imperfections and my weakness, I know that I have faithfully done what the Lord has asked me to do. So this morning, can we be confident that when it is our time to leave this world, whenever that may be, whether that be next week or it be 50 years from now, have we done all that God has expected us to do? So Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Fight the good fight. Finish the race. Number four, again in verse seven, I have kept the faith. Timothy, you need to keep the faith. Now, Paul says the faith. He's not talking here about the subjective quality of faith. Yes, I have faith that God will do this. Of course, we need that kind of faith. But here, whenever the scripture says the faith, it's referring to the body of truth that God has left with us. In other words, his word, the Bible. For example, in Jude verse 3, Jude says he is writing to exhort the believers to contend for the faith which was delivered once and for all to the saints. So Paul is reminding Timothy, the faith, the word of God, the truth that God has given to us, in our terms, Genesis to Revelation, that should be the controlling element of everything. The reason we are committed to the warfare is because the word of God tells us to do that. The reason we understand that it is a noble cause is because the word of God defines it as such. So the underlying element here is the word of God. And Paul says, I have kept the faith. In other words, I have guarded it. I have been faithful with it. Now again, it doesn't mean that Paul was, was perfect, no. 
uh, in the book of Romans, he talks very frankly about the struggle that he has. The things that I want to do, I don't seem to do them. The things I don't want to do, I seem to do them. So he was a human just like all of us. But what Paul is saying is, in all my running, in all my struggle, in all my conflict, in all my labor, I have been conscious of the sacred trust that was given to me, the eternal word of God. And my life was committed to proclaiming that word, obeying that word, and never compromising that word. At the end of 1 Timothy, he tells Timothy in verse chapter 6, verse 20, guard what has been entrusted to you. And he's talking about God's truth. And in 2 Timothy 1.14, he says, Guard through the Holy Spirit the treasure that God has given you. Again, referring to the Word of God. So no matter how difficult, no matter how often attacked, no matter how much persecution comes, there is an unwavering commitment to live and proclaim the Word of God. So the question for us this morning is, how committed are we to the Word of God? And in a church like this, where week after week we are reminded about the importance of the Word of God, we, we really have no excuse. You know, Paul is saying, if you're going to finish strong, you have to be a person who is committed to the treasure of God's Word. Paul had kept the commands and requirements of God as revealed in his Word. Again, he wasn't perfect. But the point is, is our life characterized by more obedience than disobedience? Do we keep the word of God near us so that we might diligently obey it? Do we know his promises so that we can claim them for our life? Is every area of our life governed by the principles of the Bible? Are we faithful stewards of the truth we have received? Fulfill your ministry, fight the good fight, finish the race, keep the faith. And one more thing Paul tells Timothy, number five, in verse eight. Look to the future. Look to the future. Verse 8, Paul says, There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but all to all who have loved his appearing. And the future Paul was talking about here was his eternal future. How do we know that? Because he says, On that day when the Lord Jesus, the righteous judge, will appear. You know, a lot of times when we think of our future, we think in terms of our earthly future. And many times our earthly future may not be much to look forward to. Sickness, death, family problems, political problems, social problems, economic problems. Uh, that may not really give us much motivation to persevere. Uh, imagine if Paul had looked to his earthly future. He was about to be beheaded. That certainly was no motivation to persevere. But Paul says here, you've got to look to the eternal future. And even his earthly events are seen from the perspective of eternity. You know, in verse 6, when Paul says, the time of my departure is near, it's interesting, but the word for departure in the original language was used when they would unyoke an animal. It was also used when uh, they would um, uh, loosen the, the ropes of a tent or the ropes that held a ship to the dock. So it's almost like Paul is saying, I know I'm about to die in the most terrifying and unpleasant way, but I look at that as being released from my labor, being loosed from this earth to sail into the harbor of heaven. He would be free from the chains and the bondage of this life. 
So the question for us is, uh, how many of us can think of our future in, in, such, in such terms? Do we long for the time when we will be with the Lord? He says at the end of verse 8, also to all who have loved His appearing. And it brings the idea of people who are eagerly waiting with all expectation. It's like if you tell a child, you know, in, in 20 days you're going to go to Disneyland. You know, from today until then, it'll be a countdown. 19, 18, 17. How many more days? How many more days? How many more hours? That's the idea here. Those who long for his appearing. So what was the secret of Paul's perseverance? How can we persevere in our Christian life without giving up? Well, we need to fulfill our ministry. We need to fight the good fight. We need to finish the race. We need to keep the faith. And we need to look to our eternal future. I might be thinking, okay, that, that sounds well and good, but you do realize it's very difficult to fulfill our ministry and to fight the good fight and to finish the race and to keep the faith and to look to the future. Uh, yes, uh, how can we do those things? Well, thankfully, the answer is given to us in the text itself. In chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says, All forsook me. And if we stop reading there, it would be quite unfortunate because Paul doesn't stop there. Look at the very next verse, verse 17. Look at how he concludes this chapter. But the Lord. So all forsook me. Remember, he is lonely, he is uncomfortable, he is rejected, he is opposed. Verse 17, but the Lord stood with me. That's God's presence. The Lord strengthened me. That's God's power so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. That's God's protection. And look at verse 18. The Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me. The Lord's preservation. So, even as Paul was writing to Timothy and telling him to fulfill his ministry and to fight his good fight and to finish his race and to keep the faith and to look to the eternal future, Paul reminds Timothy, you can't do this on your own. You can't even do this with other people. I mean, we need family, we need friends, we need church members, we need pastors, we need elders, we need mentors, we need role models, and, and praise God for those things. But it's like Paul is telling Timothy, when all is said and done, none of those people can ultimately cause you to persevere. When all is said and done, there's only one person who can help you do these things that I've mentioned, the Lord. The Lord's presence, the Lord's power, the Lord's protection, and the Lord's preservation. So Paul ends this chapter with the Lord just like he began the chapter with the Lord. And look at the end of verse 18. If we are able to fulfill our ministry, if we are able to fight the good fight, if we are able to finish the race, if we are able to keep the faith, if we are able to live our life looking to our eternal future, what happens? The Lord will bring us to His heavenly kingdom so that He gets the glory. To Him be glory forever and ever. That's the final result. Because as many of us know, the story of the Bible is the story of God, right? This morning, if you don't know the Lord, then unfortunately, you don't have the Lord's presence or the Lord's protection or the Lord's preservation. 
or the Lord's power. But the good news is you have the chance to know the Lord and to experience those things. What Paul is writing about here is really not a secret for just some people. It's available to anyone who is a child of God. Anyone who admits before God that he, has a, that he is a sinner, that he has broken God's laws, that he deserves God's judgment, that he deserves to be eternally separated from God. And we acknowledge that there is nothing that we could say or do to, or bring to God that could make us right before him. But we acknowledge that the Lord Jesus Christ, although he did or thought or said nothing wrong, he came into this world and he willingly, voluntarily died on the cross, taking the sacrifice, paying the penalty for our sins and rising again. And if we are willing to believe that, if we are willing to commit our life to that truth, to accept that gift of salvation, then the Lord's presence, the Lord's power, the Lord's protection, and the Lord's preservation is at our disposal. For those of us who are already God's children, as I know many of us in here are, even as we go through difficult times in this life, and the difficulties are different for each one of us, uh, we may not even know what exactly the difficulties that each one of us go through, but the Lord knows. And as Paul told Timothy, are we committed to fulfilling our ministry, to fighting the good fight, to finishing the race, to keeping the faith, and looking to our eternal future, knowing that even if all forsake us, as Paul said, the Lord stood with me. Shall we pray?